Welcome to another edition of Radio Watson, the talk show discussing the latest in pop culture and entertainment. My name is Buddy Watson, and today we're discussing the most anticipated album of the year. It has been so long in the waiting for the fans of this amazing artist. And no, we're not talking about Donda from Kanye West. We're talking about the supergroup. The synth pop kings from Glasgow, Churches, and their fourth album, Screen Violence. I am joined by, uh, once again, the, the music guru, Simon Blackburn from Take My Tone, the uh, music discovery podcast, and also James Wood, who was, uh, I think, a self-proclaimed Churches superfan. He's from Two Hearts, the New Who podcast, and has some awesome stuff uh, over at Power Up and various other outlets that you can check out. The time has come. James, I'll uh, throw to you first. How you feeling? Uh this is this is a true no skips album. Um I yes. every time I sit down to listen to Screen Violence, I find myself just listening to the whole thing through. Um I think its brevity is one of its greatest strengths, like despite having some longer songs on there, the fact that they've really trimmed themselves down and said, you know, 10 tracks, you know, whatever it is, like start to finish everything belongs on this piece um and it just it's so exciting i i cannot proclaim how excited i am about this album and throwing to another man who also likes a 10 track album simon how are you and how are you feeling uh perfect length and basically oh also the um to to preface this i am essentially brand new to churches like i think upon he said she said coming out that was my essentially first listen of the band and then I then went back to the, not the album, the last album, but the one before, the one that everyone likes. I keep forgetting the name of it, but I really should remember it because it's really great. And so that's been my point of reference to measure it up against this one. Um, so if I do make any best churches albums claims, I really only know two albums. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm vibing pretty strong on this one. So I can't, uh, super keen to dive in. What's well, funny you said that um, about Love Is Dead, the 2018 album that the one that everybody likes in Church's kind of discography. Um, it's actually the lowest rated on Metacritic. It has a 73 out of 100, whereas their previous two albums uh, had 80 and 77. Both those albums went gold in the UK, whereas Love Is Dead uh, did not. Love Is Dead was the album that they had producer Greg Kirsten come on and uh, work with him as well. And he's worked with uh, such pop super acts like Lady Gaga, Adele, Sia, Halsey, Pink, uh, Gwen Stefani, Lily Allen, Foo Fighters, just to name a few. And that was kind of their their move to really try and become more mainstream and, and really popify their their act and kind of uh, break through. A lot of people kind of saw that as like their Celeste, the authentic Church's sound. I, I really liked Love is Dead anyway. I think it's just because I'm a Church's fan. So um, the fact that they returned to kind of self-production for this 10-track uh, like you said, non-skippable album, um, I think is amazing. And as from someone who loves all of Churches, I'll declare right now that this is the, the, the best album for sure. So, Yeah, um, I, I, I'd follow up that. Uh, I completely agree. I think Love is Dead, again, maybe if you trimmed it down to 10 tracks, I think I'd have a much better time with that album. I think as it is, it's a bit bloated. Uh, whereas Scream Violence flows on very nicely from their earlier sound. Um, and... To me, adapts it and evolves it. Churches is not a band that really fundamentally changes their sound in between albums. And for some people, that's that's not a good thing. Uh, for a fan like me, I, I think it's fantastic. I think if you just continue to refine what you're good at, as opposed to feeling the need to branch out and do something new that might not fit for the band, um, I think you get a really great th- 
thing, which is what Scream Violence is. It feels like a proper like culmination of uh, not just like sonically where the band has been, but also like thematically as well. Just to clarify, Love is Dead is the one that I tried first but didn't like, and Every Open Eye is the one that I really loved. Ah, there we go. Yeah, that that was it, sorry. Um, Because you suggested that to me, buddy, and then that was the one that I've listened to repeat, and then now I've come to this new one. So I kind of have. Okay, there you go. Simon's over here like, I'm not really a Churches fan. No, I've listened to their their best (laughs) stuff. I've listened to the one after that. I've listened to basically three of their four albums I've had, so, you know. Yep. I can't make any declarations about what's the no. best. I've only listened to 75% of their yeah. catalog. <laughs> I love that. Um, like I said before, their previous album, Love is Dead, was really a big uh, attempt to kind of hit the mainstream, bringing um, Greg Kirsten. And they, uh, they were quoted as kind of saying that in that album, the lyrics were kind of more universal and they really didn't have any kind of personal meaning uh, attached to it, which is, I guess, great for pop songs or whatever. But you can definitely feel that within this album lyrically uh it's definitely relatable resonates and looking at kind of the situations that the band has been in specifically lauren and how she was kind of targeted after the whole marshmallow chris bound type Mm -hmm. stuff with the death threats and all that stuff so uh yeah a lot of that kind of 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 bleeds through and and makes it like you said like like a little bit more more authentic i guess and and relatable Mm -hmm. so relatable is probably not the Yes, word, but <laughs> no, no, I, I see. You can, res- you can resonate with it exactly, and I think the interesting thing, like you know, with the Love Is Dead, them trying to branch into more of a pop sound and reach that mainstream success, for them to do uh, Here with Me with Marshmallow, which became this like massively successful song for them, and then so to achieve that fame and then have it immediately be followed up by you know probably one of their darkest experiences as a band um, is a concept that I think you can find a little bit in this album um, in the way that they grapple with the at least the overarching concept of success and achieving that success and then sort of how you feel after that moment um california i think is the the track that covers that um but yeah yeah i can't wait to get into california as well because uh in general i don't like songs about california <laughs> dude way too many done and dusted dude i like um, i didn't write that down but that's the first thing i thought of when i saw that track now. <laughs> <laughs> oh great here we go california can't wait to get lana del rey on the track um, hey now, <laughs> I love I love Lana Del Rey. Oh, okay, okay, that's fine then. All I right. love Lana Del Rey, but you know, <laughs> it's a bit of a meme. You know, sad girl, depressed, living in the West Coast. True. I don't live in the West Coast. I live in West Brisbane, and I'm sad, but I'm a boy. I don't know. I, I live in the West Coast. Whatever. So does you do live in the West Coast. Yeah. You live in WA. <laughs> you live in the, the more West than anybody. Um, first of all, I guess we'll get into the, I guess some of the, I guess the meanings behind. Uh, the album, um, this was from an interview with NME. Uh, NME. This is uh, Screen Screen Violence is originally conceived as a name for the band, which uh, I thought was pretty cool. Um, it was recorded almost entirely in Glasgow in WA. Uh, WA. <laughs> <laughs> LA. Uh, and it Funnily delved enough, into Screen though, Violence. there is a Perth in Scotland. There you uh, go. So that's a, yeah. That's what I think you were meant to say. Yeah. Yeah, clearly. Yeah, Thank sorry. you. Yeah. Okay. You've saved me. Um, and delves into screen violence in three main forms, on screen, by screens, and through screens, with songs addressing feelings of loneliness, disillusionment, and fear, among other emotion- emotions. Uh, Lauren Mayberry said in a statement about the record, I think for me it was helpful to go into the process with the idea that I could write something escapist almost that felt freeing initially, to have concepts and stories to weave your own feelings and experiences through. But in the end all the lyrics were definitely still personal. And once again, that kind of comes through. Um, 
Martin Doherty from the band also said, to me, the screen aspect was a little bit more literal. Uh, when we were making the record, it was like half of our lives lived through screens. What began as a concept was now a lifeline. Uh, three singles that they released, and then a couple of days before they dropped the album, I guess we'll talk about this, was that awesome deep fake 80s horror <laughs> film uh, trailer. It was an exceptional bit of marketing, wasn't it? Like, I, I know I, I kind of said this before about the sound of the album, but I really felt like I'd watched Churches, like, fully step into being Churches at that point. Like, there was no hint of self-consciousness or it was like an earnest, this is who we are, we're kind of weird, we're kind of dark, but we're having fun with it. Um, and it was so good. I think it dovetailed perfectly from the John Carpenter remixes that came out, uh, I think, earlier that week. Um, and obviously Carpenter is an influence that is kind of all over this album. Mm, absolutely. And what do you make of that, Simon? Uh, I'm pretty much echoing uh, the sentiments of James in the in the sense that it's the it's the dark and the kind of strange part of churches is what draws me to them. That's why when Love Is Dead came out, it pushed a bit too much into that mainstream factor for me. And so I was really glad upon actually like hearing what well, there was the singles which I sort of fell in love with and then that the rest of the album um, mostly followed suit as well so they're really setting that theme and so to have that deep fake as that that bit of a viral marketing per se um, I think yeah, it was definitely a smart move yeah. all right so let's uh, get into it track by track 10 track album uh, running length of about 44 minutes or so which I think is, is quite good um, it really felt like a little bit of a a movie, like like I've said before, Simon, on some of these podcasts that we've done with the album reviews, it really feels like a three act structure here, like three three four, or you know, with an epilogue or something. It feels it feels like kind of cinematic or like a you know your rock opera uh, in, in quotation marks. It feels like a uh, one whole entire piece instead of just a bunch of songs together in a random order. And I think that's um, kind of solidified by the opening track which I think is just uh, an amazing opening track and, and kind of sets the tone for the rest of the album. That's Asking for a Friend. Um, we'll start with you, James. What do you make of Asking for a Friend? Uh, I mean, it does everything an opening track needs to do. Um, you know, it sets the tone, not just um, like sound-wise, but also lyric-wise. Uh, that darker edge is back. They immediately reintroduce you to that concept. Um, and then from there, that kind of escalation of pretty chill, pretty chill churches, and then bang, you get hit pretty hard. Then that dip down again into, I think one of the like breaks there is like super quiet. And then it just really brings that whole thing back together at the end um, to just get you, it just gets you hyped for what's coming. Um, but not in a pop sense necessarily, uh, if that makes any sense. It does. It definitely makes definitely makes sense. Um, I love it as an opening track as well. And like you said, the kind of slow build. I love the uh, introduction of that clap beat at 47 seconds in um, for the second verse. And they could just go slowly keep adding layers to it until it's kind of just like crescendos and they bring it back down. Um, and then towards the bridge at the end, about two minutes, 20 in with the um, You Still Matter. Mm. Uh, verse i just think it's it's fantastic yeah that, like, can we go that home that part. repeated kind of uh mantra yeah yeah simon favorite song on the album really? wow favorite okay. song <laughs> yeah so Man, basically, we're going in hot yeah yeah uh straight off the bat um the the synth fade in it's like saddened warmth it's like sun on the face looking upwards tears welling you know they're already setting the vibes for me they, they've already hooking me in j just on just on that synth um, 
I really like in the verses with her like Scottish accent starts creeping through in like the words, if I don't stop now, will it follow me down? Um, always like, you know, love that sort of thing. Um, the vocal pattern itself is simple, but it's, it's very majestic because of the, especially the, the use of the, the reverb and stuff. Um, the You Still Matter bridge and the outro has a really cool polyrhythmic effect. It's like a arpeggiated synth over the top of like a 4-4 beat and that type of thing, that, push and pull really speaks to me. Um, and then they sort of push that further where there's a, a particular synth filter in the outro that's very like Tron Legacy soundtrack. And I'm, I'm obsessed mm. with that soundtrack. Um, and mm. underneath it, which I only actually noticed today upon listening to the album for the umpteenth time, is there's a really kind of like gnarly bass synth groove uh, under it, almost like Nine Inch Nails-ish. Um, I think structurally they potentially could have ended it sooner but at the same time it's not enough to knock it off top spot for me yeah and i love that line well this the whole first chorus is fantastic um and the plan words with the loose lips sink ships type thing and using i guess the ships as the relationships mm. um and uh my favorite line of this one is and the mess we made on fridays gave me sunday on my knees i'm like Fuck. and the mess we I was, We've all been there. <laughs> I was just about regret. to bring that up as my favorite lyric from this track. Um, and look, I'm going to be doing that with every single song that we talk about. There, there's one lyric <laughs> at least in each track that makes me go like, damn it, Maybury, you get it. <laughs> I, th- I think the cool thing is that um, for anyone that's listened to the Billy Irish review episode that, that I was on, um, and obviously a lot of my notes focusing more on the music aspect of it and not lyrics, this one, I think just because of how well pronounced and how much of a focal point her her vocal style is I, I felt myself connecting much more into into the lyrics and liking some of the sort of wordplay and sub meanings and things like that so I think that in itself was was a little bit of a surprise for me and like that line that you mentioned before um and and the one that you did as well buddy I'm just like yep like it, her lyric writing um or unless it's sort of I guess being co-written as well. I'm not sure. Um, is excellent on this album. Mm. The, with, oh, sorry. There you go. No, just with regards to the lyrics, um, uh, when in that same uh, NME interview, like they also released like a sort of track by track video breakdown with the band, um, and the way that they talked about this being. It seems like this album is very much uh, one part concept horror album and one part autobiographical existential horror album. Um, And so I know that this was, you know, produced entirely in-house, written entirely in-house. I think that, you know, when she talks about the way she wrote a lot of these songs, it is a deeply personal thing that she's poured out onto the page here. And the two guys had a lot of um, sort of input and influence on it. Um, But to your point, Simon, like this is very much Maybury's lyrics. I think that's why it does shine through as strongly as it does. And Lauren said that she felt like this was a cool chapter one. It's about regret and loneliness, and it's quite vulnerable and raw. But then it's like, well, why do you feel those things? And the next chapters are about going back to tell the rest of that story. So we'll get into those chapters with uh, song number two off the album, and that's He Said, She Said. This was the lead single, I think, the first single that was released. Um, Three singles uh, that were done before. Um, Yeah, I absolutely like this as well and um i guess you won't really get this reference simon but maybe you or james uh the intro 100 percent makes me 
re- like reminds me of the game Bug Snacks, just with how Are you talking about like, Bug Snacks. I'm talking about Bug Snacks. <laughs> I haven't PS4 actually played action. Bug Snacks. That's all I knew. You haven't it. played Bug Snacks. <laughs> I said this to Dylan Blight a couple, like I don't know, maybe Shout a couple outs. weeks ago when when it was out. Shoutouts, and um, he's like Bug Snacks, and then he like. Listen to it, and then I just cut the back like all in caps. Holy shit! So, um, yeah, I just can't stop thinking about that now. I love how that sound is reused in the lead up to each uh, verse as well. I love how loud and bombastic the beat and drums are uh, in the lead up to the pre-chorus. Also, love that distorted screaming, um, the backup vocals, and I always catch myself kind of repeating that those backup vocals as well when I think mm. it's Mark that's singing it. So, you know, Lauren will sing it, and then I'll kind of get in there and sing it with the backup with the vocals myself a bit more aggressive so <laughs> um yeah this this is this is great as well um what do you what do you make of it james uh i think it's again another testament to mayberry's uh lyric writing here it's the most um explicit of the tracks i would say like this is there's very little um if any kind of like allegory or metaphor in this one this is very much just a song about uh the gendered ways in which people interact in this world the gaslighting you can experience sort of through a relationship or through the screen as it were um and it was a small note i noticed in the uh, pitchfork review that when i listened to it again today i kind of picked up on this time the emphasis put on the he said um as a as a means of sort of feeling like it's an overpowering narrative that this guy is trying to enforce onto her it's just those smart little production details that make this song shine as much as it does yep absolutely it's it's, it's very interesting that you point that out because the nail i hear in my head it's like it comes in it, it sits higher it, it's it's sharp it's it's very focused with the he said and then the she said like drop down that's mm. awesome i, I love i love discovering little production sort of uh, techniques or purposes like that after the fact but um, yeah, no, the song for me, uh, essentially, yeah, my first taste of churches. Um, it's the most straightforward structure on the album, which I guess makes sense as a lead single. Makes it very easy to get into. Lyrics great, call and echo, repetition with the chorus. Feel like I'm losing my mind. It matches the theme. It's like that circling, looping over. Um, the lyric writing of the whole opposites. You know, he said this, but be this sort of thing. That's excellent. Awesome with the theme. All that being said, the one thing that makes this such a great song for me is just the in in the beat itself. The way that it's, it stalls and then comes in with the like kick synth, mm. and so you're yeah. sort of like going along and say, like, "Wait, drops in." Yes, like you don't want to catch me driving to this song because I'll probably <laughs> like <laughs> just vibing with it. Yeah, so I think that's uh, in terms of a first impressions for the band. Um, it's a great track for me to get, get hold of. Mm. I always get worried when I listen to the singles of an album, especially when there's not many tracks in it. And then I'm like, oh, great. I've already heard 30% of the yeah. album. You think you've I'm heard like, the best parts. Yeah. And I've heard these three banging singles. I'm like, oh, what's the rest of the album going to be like? And I'm like, hmm. This is a song that I could easily skip now. It's one of the best on it because, you know, you know mm. I could start somewhere else in the album based on mood, whether I'm going to start at Trav- track seven and from Final Girls and go on, but or I could start, you know, here or from the start. Yeah, it's just great. So, Track three, California, like I said, another song 
named or about <laughs> California. Fantastic. Um, but I absolutely love the twist on this song and uh, how they've kind of turned it on its head. Uh, Martin from the band, he was uh, said that, quoted as, everyone who moves to LA does a California song, so we're conscious of not doing that. But no one ever makes songs about the dark side of what happens if you get stuck here and you're a failure and your entire life almost becomes somewhat meaningless and you have to retreat. Warren came in with those lyrics and was like, I guess we're going there. The juxtaposition with the sound makes sense with that meaning. If it was all about how great it was to live in LA, it would be a terrible mistake. So it's so good. It's so upbeat. But then the message of it is is completely flipped on its head. And um, yeah, I just love the way it kind of uses the, the, the falling in a dream. So I love her delivery of falling in a dream and also dying in a dream. Um, when she says that, it almost kind of sounds uh, whimsical and almost optimistic despite what it's actually meaning in the song. Everyone wants that kind of California dream. And I love how it's kind of a play on that word you know, that kind of that, that saying of come out there and, you know, anything's possible, all the actors and everything, all, all the waitresses are going to, going to come up and do the, do, do the, uh, the audition, the, the La La Land, yeah, the exactly. La La type land type thing. So, um, I love all of that. It's, I kind of describe it as like an upbeat nightmare. Um, <laughs> and, uh, I love those like slow guitar drums that open the song and then kind of just kind of remain all the way through for the verse. So, Yeah. Didn't think I would see a song named California, and, and I kind of rolled my eyes on it. Oh, California, here we go. Yeah, Mate, no, damn, I, this is, this I had is the fire. exact same thing, and now that you've described the meaning behind the lyrics, it's it's elevated it in, in just that description alone, because now I'm not thinking of it as that initial, like, oh, Christ, that California. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I was literally thinking the same thing, like, is this a, just a case of where a band has gone to California and they fall in love with it, so... You, Here's our ode to our time, you know, sort of sort of deal. Um, so I'm very glad it's quite the opposite of that. Mm. Um, James? Yeah, I think what I find most impressive about California as a track is that it feels almost perfectly tuned to be a post or I guess midst of COVID track at the same time as it is these things about you know because they said in uh, one of the interviews that um, for them they wanted California as a concept within this to be something that you the listener could sort of interpret as your own thing like what your California is the thing that you've you know pursued your entire life and forsaken other things for and whatnot Um, and then you know to emerge at the time that this track has with an opening verse you know waste a month waste a year waste the time you could have been here like, yeah, bro, like, we're all just kind of, like, wasting time at this point. It is what our lives sort of have become to feel like under this, like, COVID world. Um, and I just, I don't know, I found that weirdly lined up nicely. Waste a month, waste a year, waste the time you could have been here. Count the count the tears. 100%. It's, uh, what is it when you, you what do they say, when you go to, like, space or, or something like that or... When you, when you just lose lose time, mm. I, I can't remember what that is, but I feel like I guess a lot of people have felt like they've maybe lost the well, last like, like year the, and a half, two years. The whole uh, Gruen transfer effect sort of thing is that what you mean? Like the whole losing aspect of time? Not losing aspect of time, but uh, when uh, when you get abducted from aliens, you lose time. <laughs> okay, that's yes. what I meant. Okay, the, the space thing, getting abducted by the aliens. Space thing. <laughs> yeah. You know, you know that saying when you get taken to space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, abducted with this one, the the verse rhythmic vocal pattern the way it bounces around is awesome i like mm. she does that so flawlessly um and building up to the crescendo with the especially with the pull me into the screen at the end it's like this soaring above the clouds vibe and um for a track initially that i would almost skip not because i didn't like it but because i wanted to maybe get to some other ones um 
just when I when I looked back at it a bit, at, you know, analyzing it a bit more musically in that, and then now you've added in this this lyrical meaning. It's uh, yeah, I've um, I'm, I'm actually quite quite impressed for yeah what initially mm. upon first listen could have been seen as filler, but not filler if you know what I mean. Um, mm. But yeah. It's funny that you say that because the first time I listened through the or like both like both of the first times the, the first couple of times I listened through <laughs> the album, um, California was the track that I was like I don't really know like it's good I just don't know if I love it yet um, and it took the, me exactly. Yep. You know, I, eventually with an album, I sit down and I, I open the lyrics in front of me and I just kind of listen and read along as I go. Um, and really honing in on it, you get past the, not like the sugary coating, but like that kind of uplifting vibe that you get if you're not really listening to the album, to the song. Um, and so, yeah, just like you said, once you really pull apart California, I think it's one of the best tracks on the album. Yeah. And I, and I would have, um when I first listened, I, I kind of do the same to you, James, kind of listen all the way through or whatever and then go back and try and do a lyric listen and more, more of an engaged listen and the definitely the first time i listened i listened to the opening track I'm like this is this is absolutely fire i actually got to the second track and i've heard that track a million times because uh i've just spammed it usually i wouldn't do that for a single for an album i'm excited for because i'm like oh i'm gonna ruin this single by the time it gets to the album then i won't want to listen and it'll ruin the kind of the pattern but i actually skipped he said she said and went straight to california went on my first listen and um yeah i, I was like this is pretty cool, and then and then here I think hearing her pronunciation of um, falling in a dream and then dying in a dream, I'm like, this is kind of this is kind of dark. And then looking into the lyrics a bit, more, I'm like, well, this is this is awesome. <laughs> so yeah, I love California. The song, I've never been to California. I can't say whether I love or hate it. Not sure. Number four, Violent Delights. Uh, another long track here, five minutes twenty, kind of mirroring the the length of the first. First uh, t- opening track there, um, yeah. Uh, what do you think about? I'm gonna. I'll go to you first, Simon. What do you think about Violent Delights? Um, you just did the OK sign. Which yeah, is yeah. I was not like to, a, a. No, I, I guess was, you didn't do that in a bad kind no, of. No, I don't. I'd right wing way. Did, like, I'm you like, like chef's like, kiss kind of way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm like, has OK been ruined? I didn't mean to. Do I, I don't. I don't know. I should have just Apparently. done that. I should have just done horns. No one can yeah, run horns. Punk yet. rock. Yeah. Yeah. Um, elite. This Too sweet. upon the first and even second listen through, this was my favorite track up until probably around like the the ten album times listen through. But I appreciated the first track even more. But um, when I listened to this, I, I I had a feeling in my head that this would be your favorite. Yes, yeah, um, because of the drums at the start. <laughs> well, that that is actually one of my first notes because it's the the use of the singular kick as the return point on the beat is really interesting there's nothing but just one kick and it's at the start of every repeat that's awesome um that in itself because then all the all the sort of like snare hi hat action in between very much in that sort of like um uh, sort of like electronic kind of style it's it's kind of muffled as well, and it just creates this really cool mix between the two, which allows that overarching synth to just become like the lead, essentially. Um, the bit that absolutely nailed it for me is when they drop into the verses and the filter on the beat, and it's really quiet and it's really in the corner. Super great for the dynamic of the whole song.
Um, I think this is the best chorus on the entire album. I, I'm absolutely obsessed with it. Um, my only downside of it that pulled me away from being favorite track was the male vocal, I don't want to see it, in the bridge. It, 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 it kind of throws it off a bit for me because it... Like I don't, I don't know the other members really at all. Um, I didn't even know at first if this was like a guest spot thing, but it kind of sounded to me like one of the almost like those. Here's your boy band five members, and this is what the fifth member sounds like. That's kind of like how it's coming across <laughs> to me. Um, and so I thought, well, they should have gone instrumental in that section. That being said, when they're getting into the last couple of choruses, that I don't want to see it vocal comes in, and it works great there. But as a focal point in the bridge, it was a bit like you've you're killing the momentum a little bit for me. But overall, very dynamic. Love the chorus. Yeah, James. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I pretty much just agree with everything that was just said. Um, the 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 male uh, vocal coming in uh, reminds me a lot of um, Bones of What You Believe, like that very early Church's days when you know it was never an even split between them by any stretch. But like I know that he would crop up a little bit more uh, during earlier tracks, um, and. Yeah, I don't know. I, I just, I, I think it's a phenomenal bit of music. The, um, I'm not as technical with my musical terms as Simon is, but the, um, the ebb and flow between like those like very subdued verses and then the way she essentially just breaks the surface and comes back up for air on the chorus, um, so is so aggressive. Um, and, and I love it so much for that because it is a profoundly dark song. Um, and I think that the, the lyric, uh, these violent delights keep bleeding into the light, specifically that, that image that that conjures for me is just like ah chef kiss i i love it so much <laughs> i um with those drums it almost felt like a military kind of cadence at, at the start like a yeah yeah, yeah, like yeah. A, and that's that's um, interesting to point band. that out because now i'm sort of if you're because there's so much snare in there it could probably come across that way and um mm. but i just love the fact that it almost sounds like a They've, they've they've programmed in the kick and then they've almost got this like sampling of a of a section of drum and then that, and then they've sort of built the loop out of that um yeah but yeah very 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 crafty production you and churches I, um, folk and i and i'm actually gonna be controversial i love the mark part it's actually one of my favorite parts of the album um when he comes in and, and sing, sings the bridge i love that they kind of introduce those touch of piano notes in there and it kind of foreshadows what the next couple of songs are going to have in it. So I liked it, how it kind of links into the next couple of songs quite nicely. Um, Can I just is say... Is he the guy... Oh, oh. oh, sorry, real quick. That Mark that you referenced, is he the guy that... Is he the guy that has that song on uh, the other album, I like Every Open Eye, where he sings the whole thing? Is that the same guy? Yeah, he didn't He didn't do any um, complete songs on this album, just this, this bridge. Yeah, but that and is on, the on same the member. Sorry? That is the same member. Yes. Okay, cool. Because he's yeah. a lot better on... I, I very much welcomed his song on that album more than this part. Mm. But yeah, anyway. It's so funny that I'm, I like this part and then I'm also jamming to his backing vocals in the previous one. <laughs> <laughs> we have such a distinct sound. Um, you know, yeah. I think that they're really smart in the way that they deploy him sparingly because when he does show up, it's it's such a... Um, you know, they, they obviously want to drive something home with him um, and, yeah. and I, I quite like that. I just wanted to say before we moved on to the next track, uh, specifically within this song, thinking about Maybro's experiences with what happened after the Marshmallow stuff, um, you know, when you get to the line, uh, where was it? If I disappear, they'll say I killed myself. Um, mm. Is just such a... 
dark indictment on the like celebrity culture and just this idea that you know she's very much in the public uh, eye and whatnot and you know I never feared for my own health there's so much pain in that um and I uh, yeah I, I think violent delights is a violent delight mm, absolutely <laughs> if I disappear they'll say I'll kill myself yeah. Or they'll just say, Courtney Love killed you instead. Um, Lauren actually came out and said, at first I was worried it would be pretentious to put Shakespeare references into the album, but I've rewatched Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet, and I found the phrase of violent delights really evocative. I feel like we're all morbidly fascinated with the violence that happens to other people. The verse lyrics are actually a series of nightmares that I'd been having. In a hotel room on tour, I dreamed that people were trying to get into my room, and I once woke up having piled a bunch of pillows and stuff up against the door with no memory of doing it. It's your subconscious telling you your house is on fire and you need to get out. The wheels were coming off. So 100% like linked back to that uh, that mm. marshmallow incident and when she had to get, kind of get extra security and death threats and all that stuff were kind of being piled up against uh, the band. Fuck you, Chris Brown. Well, if if yeah. your house is on fire, just poke a stick in it. Marshmallow. <laughs> <laughs> Good Lord. <laughs> rare, medium rare, anyone? Okay. <laughs> oh, I love your puns, Simon. It's just so good. You're the king. You're the king of the puns. And for that, Simon, we'll uh, we'll give you the crown. Uh, speaking of give you the crown, this uh, lyric comes up in the next track, number five. This is How Not to Drown, and it features Robert Smith from The Cure. It was also the second single that was released from this album. <sighs> Holy shit. I love Robert Smith in this. I love everything about it. That whole, like you were saying before, James, about the concept, the horror concept album. And then bringing in Robert Smith, it kind of really gives it that new way feel. Like they're already a synth pop band, which is kind of big in the 80s. I feel like they're kind of, it's almost that perfect synergy of like, we're no longer this poppy synth pop band and that 80s horror vibe. And then it's just, it. I don't know, it just all comes together for me. Uh, and that s- slight piano notes, at the, uh, piano notes at the start of the song, of, of course, we had that. Uh, the, the, a little bit of piano in the the song before with Violent Delights and that kind of that hammering that dun, 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 dun. very much feels like a horror movie with that kind of note that would be played but I just I just love when that kind of uh, chimes in here or there so um, yeah what did you make about How Not to Drown James um, I remember the first time I listened to it I was driving to work and I had like a playlist of new tracks and it came on and I was like this this can't be from the same album. Like I like within the context of the full thing. Now I fully appreciate it quite a bit more. Um, but the first few times I listened to this, I was like, this is so far away from what I expected from churches. Um, and it had so much of the, the anger and the sort of darkness that I do really appreciate about this album. It was such a tone setter for me. Um, and I think it's placed within the album. It still comes in like a sledgehammer for me. I think this is probably the hardest hitting track on the, the album. Um, and, yeah, it's just, it's so good. Um, Simon, you want to take it away with a technical analysis? <laughs> um, well, I'm, mine's a bit more feeling first, kind of like kind of like yourself and your reactions. Um, out of this, the three singles beforehand, this is the one I would always come back to the most um, because of that that dark aspect, because of the, the Robert Smith factor. Funnily enough, the first time I heard this, I didn't actually see... Uh, like I was listening to an Apple Music and it had truncated off the, I saw the Rob dot, dot, dot. And so I didn't even know who it was or anything. And I was listening to it and then the voice came. I was like, who the hell is this? I was like, I know this voice so much. 
And then, and then when I saw the little screen cap of the video, I was like, oh my God, they got Robert Smith from The Cure sort of thing. I was like, that's, that was so cool to me that it, I think initially I just assumed it was going to be somewhere a bit closer to their age sort of thing. Um, but then I was like, man, I'm such a dummy because it's so obviously him. Um, so yeah, this was the standout of, of the singles. Um, again, we got a bit of her accent creeping in when she says like, st- I stuck it stuck in into my mouth. Um, and yeah, the, the guest spot with Robert Smith is like genius casting. Um, his lines in the verse, I like had stuck in my head so much that I pushed it to, you know, like when you have like a quote in a movie and you say it so many times, you just accentuate it, amplify it, that you finally go back to watch it and it's nowhere near as full on as you've made it. That's <laughs> yeah, what I'll it do was. One for you right, I'll do one for you right now. <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is the original. Face off. And this is how I do it all the time. Face off. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, exactly that. So, so, and then I start pushing it into where it just becomes indecipherable. So I was just like doing yard work going, <laughs> just like, <laughs> just take all, all the, all the weird parts of his and just like take away all the pronunciation. And that just stuck in my head. And even in the shower, wherever it would always pop up. Um, that's all great. What, absolutely seals it for me is two minutes 40 the start of the extended mostly instrumental section i i literally i have you know you can see it and you listen to a podcast by i literally have goosebumps just saying that right now because that just that zone uh the layers the use of rob coming back in perfect I've got that note here as well. Two minute 40, the eerie haunting instrumental that really kind of gives it that dark vibe, mm. um, especially when they're tying it into how not to drown. If you're watching the film clip as well with the microphone falling to the bottom of the, whatever that is, pool or body of water, whatever whatever that is, <laughs> I think it's, yeah, it's just fantastic. And um, only, only a few months ago, uh, I this is the first time I listened to Disintegration. Um, it was recommended by Pat at work, kind of had a discussion about the cure and I was like, yeah, cure here and there. I'm not really sure about them. I think we're playing maybe a greatest hits. And he said, dude, you need to check out this album from start to finish. It's their best work. I totally ignore like their greatest hits and their radio hits. Then that's not a a good representation of, of the type of band they are. And from listening to disintegration, I was like, holy shit, I just have uh, a lot more respect. And it made me love and appreciate the cure a lot more and hearing him in that and now seeing hearing him come into this song it was like damn that was just meant meant for me to happen meant to happen to listen to that a while ago and then and and now listen to this because it's yeah it's just fantastic so so with the cure was yours a case of like you listen to disintegration on friday because you don't care if monday's blue tuesday's gray and wednesday too thursday you're just like i don't care about you but it's friday you were in love what are you the easy beats jesus christ um, I was just yeah, I always to... have fright. Oh, sorry. 
I always have Friday on my mind, Simon, you know that. <laughs> I was just about to say, I don't think I've ever heard a Cure song. And then you said that, I was like, oh, wait, no, I've heard a Cure song. Okay. Yes, that, yeah, that's the one that everyone brings up. <laughs> okay, this tracks, yeah. Um, something I really appreciate, uh, How Not to Drown, is the, uh, we saw it on Violent Delights and Asking for a Friend, and I'm pretty sure we're going to see it again as well. Um, this album really goes hard on the short, repeated phrases as a way of sort of uh, driving home the emotional emphasis of a song. And so with this one, you know, watch as they pull me down. The way this dovetails into Final Girl and the subject matter of Final Girl, because um, I know initially when I first heard this song, I thought it was an extension of He Said, She Said's um, sort of relationship slash gendered take on the world. And then I watched an interview with uh, Lauren where she was talking about this is very much a song about struggling with if this is a career path that they she wants for herself moving forward and if this kind of fame is worth it. Um, and I think that, yeah, just this song and Final Girl are a really interesting pairing in that sense. And she came out and said, we always talk about how water and water imagery comes up a lot in my lyric writing. It was time to figure out why that was. I feel like it's all a metaphor for drowning under something. It's sort of poetic too, how things work out. These lyrics are about a time when I just wanted to disappear and the only time I ever thought about quitting the band. I felt like I was in over my head at the deep end and not sure how to get back, but I did get back. And if you felt like that, I hope you find your way back too. This is the chapter on what to do after they dig you up. So yeah, mm-hmm. quitting the band and all that. Leading into Final Girl. Oh, as I was going to say, just on that note, as a, a an album wide uh, sort of point, I I love how earnest she is being with her creative process this time around. Like they've completely dropped any pretense of, um, like I said, that self consciousness. That like like she said about the Shakespeare stuff, no longer being afraid of being a little bit pretentious. Um, I, I think in general media could do a lot better with being a bit more earnest. Uh, and so I think that that's why this album is is so powerful and impactful as it is, is because it's just it's raw it's this is what it is this is what i'm feeling and it's okay if you don't fully appreciate that and i think that comes up later in good girls as well like it's you know if you've done everything right and you played the game correctly um and they're the type of band that's kind of copped some criticism specifically her and and being hammered anyway Mm. like they're or they were already vulnerable vulnerable that way being the good girls well why don't they just open themselves up and be vulnerable anyway and and at least control that vulnerability and kind of empower it. So um, there was some cool guitar in the outro of this uh, almost four minutes in, which kind of leads into the next couple of tracks, which I think the guitar uh, features a little bit more prominently, which is uh, track six, Final Girl. I'm just going to say it straight out. I think this is my favorite song off the album. Uh, like I said before, it's a lot more guitar focused and re- re- less reliant on uh, synths than the previous song. Um, it almost sounds kind of a little bit funky with the, the bass that opens the line and the kind of lead guitar coming back in for the uh, choruses. And then, yeah, I just, uh, I love the messaging. I love the kind of the metaphor with the final girl and everything. So this is, uh, I think this is my favorite track. James? Yeah, I agree. I think when you and I initially started messaging about this, we were talking about, oh, those singles are so good. How can they possibly top this? Is there going to be anything on this album that is as exciting as those singles? And then Final Girl comes on and you're like, oh, okay, here it is. Um, I, I, I'm right there with you. I think Final Girl is is probably the highlight of the album and like a, a career highlight for churches. Um, the, sonically, first of all, I there's kind of two choruses going on here. Or like, you know, the, the main chorus, which is 
almost 90s inspired in how hopeful some of its like backing music is it feels very like light and funky and fun and then um that immediately gets like cleaved by that escalating in the final cut in the final scene there's a final girl and you know she should be screaming and it's just it's that perfect balance this album achieves between like the fun synthy poppy stuff and that darker edge that we love about churches so much and so lyrically sonically uh thematically i just think final girl is the shit Absolutely. Simon. Um, I've been looking forward to finding out what the one thing you didn't like about this <laughs> is because that you were speaking before about. Well, my first note on this was, uh, hello, yes, I'd like to order a ridiculously groovy bass line with added melancholy. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, I mean, you, you knew this. Like, you, you knew this. You even mentioned, like, groovy to me. I was like, we're not going to talk about the album until the episode recording. But you were certainly on the podcast. Uh, yeah, same for the podcast. Now, uh, I'll run through all the highlights first. Uh, that post-chorus, uh, I call it post-chorus. It's like chorus two, as you said, in the final cut, in the final scene. That I love that. Love that so much. That pairs with the with, with the, the vibe I was getting and everything. The, the line in verse two, don't want to find your daughter in a body bag, scares the hell out of me. Um, and I, I, it's really effective. Um, they've even got a little addition of like a glass breaking sample that appears um, uh, every now and then in it, um, which is cool. So it like cuts through. It's the feel good light nineties style chorus one that throws it off for me. Um, everything in it, it, it it all works together great. It's like it's got the, the 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 uplifting thing. The funk guitar in it is really tasty, but it's more the tropical indie meets country pop vibes of it that I was like, ah, like it, it just it wasn't quite enough of the melancholy and that retained that it it changed the vibe a bit too much for me. But then that's what makes the chorus that follows so good. So. On one hand, I'm like, I wish they didn't do that. But then on the other hand, I'm like, if they went straight from the verse to that second chorus, it probably wouldn't have the same impact. So I'm kind of like caught caught between the two. An excellent song, definitely. Um, upon first listen through the album, it was sitting in my top three. It's probably around more around number five. But um, yeah, there's there's so much to love here, though. Uh, I, I agree, actually. The first couple of times I listened through this, um, I the way those verses build up, I did kind of want something a bit harder coming in out of them because Churches is so good at building you up through a verse and then like really like escalating it to like 15 um, with their, their choruses. And so to kind of bring the energy back down again um, was... A strange choice, for sure. Uh, it's one that I have grown to appreciate, clearly. Uh, I think it's that classic sweet and sour kind of thing. You know, you need that little bit of, like, fun before they smack you in the face again. Um, but, like, technically speaking, I, I fully agree with that critique. Yeah, same. But, um, yeah, for, for me, it was, like, seeing the final girl and just, like, that, how that um, that chorus is, like, the weight is too much carriage, quit, like, like you said, how kind of upbeat it was. I'm like, well, for me, that was, like, this is what a final girl is kind of supposed to supposed to supposed to be. Yeah, like maybe exactly. that's through 
that 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 chorus is through the the male gaze of like look at me you know blah 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 all this stuff and the and then it's then it's the tragedy towards the end when it kind of kind of yeah, hits you, you with those, you those you have to think three of where final it, uh, lines where it um slots in in the overall picture because that's exactly what you said just because something sounds sweet it sounds uplifting doesn't actually mean that's the intention of that section so to to think of it from the the storyline of and not even just a song but where it's fitting in in the entire album um, again th- this is one of those things that that's what I haven't written it off or anything or, or I'm at stage now I'm like no it does actually belong there but it sort of didn't take me until about eighth or ninth album listen to properly appreciate just that part but the rest of it while I was on board for yeah yep. uh, Lauren described this uh, uh, this song she said I watched so many horror movies to research this album there's something about the female experience and horror that you can relate to the feeling of being watched and hunted and chased which has been a big part of my relationship with being a woman I guess so hmm. yeah I was just gonna say uh, the word she used to describe this that really like stuck in my brain was voyeuristic um, I, I think there is uh, so much storytelling going on on this track um, it, it and you know that the, I say very like 90s my, my musical references are all over the place don't get me wrong um, I'm not very technical in that element but there is a inherent nostalgia I think to this track in a lot of ways there's a, a, a throwback vibe to it um, and yeah I just yeah it's good <laughs> It's a oh, song no, you've it, never heard before, but feels familiar. Exactly. exactly no, yeah. I, I think that's what it is. When it's got that, as I said, the indie cross country pop thing, that is exactly what something you would have expected or may have heard late nineties turn of the century. Um, so I totally get like that that vibe of that, yeah. that nostalgic factor. Uh, track seven of the album is Good Girls. Um, Lauren described this one as it was grappling with the idea that we've always told that bad things don't happen to good girls. And if you do all these things and you make yourself small and safe, then you'll be okay. Then you'll be acceptable. And I don't find that is to, uh, that is to be true. It feels like an OG Church's song in terms of a lot of the sounds and structures of it, but I always like that it's a little Trojan horse where you can sneak some darker things into a pop song. James, what do you think about Good Girls? Uh, I'm going to quote my own tweet here uh because of oh, course nice. i am yeah <laughs> i remember <laughs> when, it, when the single dropped uh i think i said something to the effect of it was so exciting for me as the leads one of the lead singles because it was a pop banger that did no like it, it went mask off basically like it was still very much like yeah you're gonna dance to this it's gonna sound great in a stadium <laughs> yeah i see your face off yeah i see you <laughs> um but you know you you pair that kind of like amazing fun sonic sound of it with those very angry lyrics um and that was to me when i was like okay screen violence is probably gonna be a very raw album um and i think this is a very raw track again much like um the other single uh he said she said he said she said (laughs) much like he said she said uh i think good girls is also the most um you know not obfuscated about what it's trying to say it's it's very direct in its messaging and whatnot uh and i think it's it's a better song for that i know that uh maybury described it as singing from an idealized woman's perspective so these are the things that she wishes she could so comfortably say out in the real world you know killing your idols is a chore and it's such a fucking bore i don't need them anymore like that kind of very not girl power but like a postmodern girl power anthem essentially um and in contrast with some of the other tracks on the album which she says are more of the realistic way that she ends up feeling about the gendered role that she has to play in this world um and so i think it's a really interesting contrast Mm. Simon? I think 
overall very positive, but I need to, before I get into that, the one bit that irks me where this sits is just the fact that titling, final girl, good girls. I just repetition, re- reuse, reuse of words so close to each other as well. It was kind of like with violent delights and screen violence. Like that's just, that's just like a super, almost like an OCD kind of little nitpick. It doesn't affect the song at all. It doesn't affect, it, it still sits in a great place. It's literally just a song title. Um, that being said, song itself, uh, I knew very well because, uh, you know, as you've both said, it was one of the singles. The pre-chorus is catchy as fuck. Like, the give a little of what you have left. I'm just like, mm, yeah. <laughs> just, uh, just getting into it. And then it's got that, it's got that cool delayed uh, organ hit. Um, so it's kind of like, you know, you imagine like you're on the beat and then the organ's like, Doo! like it, it just pops in like one one little half bar too late and you're like, yep, this is adding a little bit of groove in there, working with the, the vocal pattern, roll straight to the chorus very well. Love the lyric, good girls don't die, good girls stay alive, I'm walking on air. Like just the, this, the tempo and everything in this song and, and in some ways the feel the upbeatness, but again, contrasted the juxtaposition with the lyrics. This is that perfect. I got to go walk the dog song. Let's put it on. Cause this is to the temp, the tempo of my footsteps. Like it's that type yeah. of thing. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's, it's a big tick for me. doesn't sit in the top three, but I mean, as we've yeah already established is a very high bar. So to even rank these is almost impossible. <laughs> Yeah, we're not going to do the masochist thing like Dylan Blight and rank uh, each song from 1 to 10. That'd just be <laughs> psychopath, serial killer behavior. Um, yeah, at 2 minutes 34, I uh, loved the awesome guitar solo that took place after the chorus as well. Once again, we kind of had that little bit of introduction with Final Girls, that little funky bass type line, and I'm feeling like the next couple of songs kind of have that in it. I love it. It's almost like there's a little bit of piano in one song towards the end. And then the next song has a lot more piano. Then it's like a little bit of guitar in the next song. It's like, they just keep building on it and and building on it. So um, I think that's good kind of album order or structure, whether it's ignoring that complete name titles that irks you, Simon. The aesthetic. Um, (laughs) The aesthetic. Yeah. I I like the idea of it being like the art versus the artist, like killing your idols is a chore. Um, Such a fucking bore. Don't need them anymore. And kind of being let down by, celebrities or people that you admire Mm. um i guess that comes from maybe that interaction with chris brown uh or it could just be other things in general like one of you know my favorite movie of all time is seven kevin spacey's in it it's a masterful performance kevin Mm. spacey's in it um and then you know like i just recently watched chinatown which is directed by roman polanski fantastic movie but like where do you where do you draw the line and how do you kind of justify where you keep consuming whether it's movies or music and where, where do you say where do you say yes to the, that person or and and no to someone else so mm. yeah especially when kind of interesting you know as, as maybe is saying here like when it's not just like oh I, I appreciate their art it's like no like if you have an idol that specifically you know lets you down where does that leave you creatively if you're an artist if you got into this because of that person you felt so inspired by them and then to discover that they're part of this massive system that you're so angry at i just yeah it must be a i mean it's a horrible experience as a dude to feel that way like i can't imagine what that feels like for a woman yeah and i think she kind of brought that up as well and um that her experience like writing oh this song came from being in a pub with a few friends and they were kind of discussing what actions what level of action would it take for you to be uncomfortable to listen to a certain male artist's music 
and then she was kind of angry with how those people were kind of ju- trying to justify mm. what it would be and how uh, from a woman it would be completely different and a different perspective from that and she jotted notes down from that uh, and then that's kind of kind of the genesis of this song that she's gone back and, and kind of found those notes so found that quite interesting as well track eight lullabies i think this is uh sammy deesh's favorite uh favorite track off the album and uh, something he replied to me the other day. Couldn't get out of his head. Um, what do you make of lullabies? Is this the, is this a lullaby for you, James? Does this put you to sleep? Uh, no, no. I, I, l- <laughs> no lullab- In a nice way? Yeah, no, lullabies is... Um... I mean, look, it's 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 horrible to pick like the weakest track of an album that's this good. I, I do think Lullabies is probably the weakest track, though. Um, I uh, there was an interview where Maybury said that this was the hardest for them to write, and I can kind of feel that a little bit in this. I don't think it's bad by any stretch of the imagination. It's just. It's a little too sugary on the surface. I know that we've talked about, you know, with this album specifically, just because it sounds light and fun doesn't mean it's actually being light and fun. And th- these lyrics are like profoundly dark stuff um but it doesn't take away from the fact that you know when it's just on it just kind of is on if that makes sense yeah yeah for me um i i feel like we're all just visually right now uh, in agreement. um as we said weakest song on the album still very hard because such a high bar um, this one, it's, it's, it's very simple, but so easy to succumb to just the beat and the piano. It's like, it's, it's basic, but it's just like the foundations of, I know, great pop song structure. Um, it's one of those things where I'm like, how is it that they're so good at making catchy songs? <laughs> like just churches in general. I was just like, this is insane. Like to me, uh, again, this is like the closest to a skippable track, but it's still damn catchy and there's still nothing you can really fault with it. It's more just slightly pales in comparison to some of the diversity of, of the other tracks. Um, the verse vocal pattern with the third line being sung to the offbeat. Awesome. Like mm-hmm. a, a, as someone that's just like trying to listen from the rhythmic perspective, I was like, she's just so good at these vocal patterns. Um, so uh, yeah, again, overall, I don't want to use the F word, but it's the closest to filler um that f word uh on the album but so i don't want to say that because i i don't think that does it justice it's a better song than that but if we were to rank it it would be 10 but i can't say that because we're not going to rank it (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i i agree and i think that kind of it's unfortunate because i think lyrically this is like one of i mean they're all incredibly strong lyrically like i i don't think there's a miss in the lyrics of this album at all um so even if sonically this one lets me down a little bit you still get like banger lines like thinking that it's not a suicide if we act polite and then the way jesus christ kind of comes in with such disdain for that situation um you know wish i'd reached out to my mother more wish that i hadn't kept the score and then i wish and the way that that kind of just fades into those choruses um you know despite the fact that you are getting a very smooth and easy listen here what they're singing about is is still like really tough to to work through and mm. um, i like the are we better off consuming the violence like in atrocities on our screens or are we better off being the victims of said violence that are happening in those screens um mm. we kind of take a bit of weird meanings away from the song and i'm gonna say like a fucking i guess a nutcase now but those opening lines like i've lost my appetite drinking the pesticide thinking that's not a suicide if we act polite jesus christ i got some real like i don't know why my head went to it but i immediately think of like the jonestown 
massacre when she's like saying drink the pesticide drink the poison this mm. whole suicide and jesus christ like line after line after line i'm like just kind of holy holy shit like you know drinking drink drinking from the kool-aid you know of what what's trying to be filled to us or delivered to us through these through these screens um and and how it's kind of like tormenting and rotting our brain and can be just as harmful as kind of being on the other side of the screen as well so um that's the line that opening lines kind of i guess really get to me and on, on, on this one so and and in some ways it's probably one of the most extreme forms of juxtaposition on the album because that's you just reading that out it's very intense very dark wrapped in a very pop catchy packaging so um yeah, that's certainly like the the peel back the layer and actually discover what's inside sort of type moment. Something good they do on the, the majority of the album here. Number nine, Nightmares. This is my second favorite track behind Final Girl. I must be some twisted, sick fuck that just loves horror movies and, and glorifies violence. And that's where my head is. So, I don't know. Sorry. Um, <laughs> Lauren, she said, this is the only song on the record that's about relationships. The verses are about relationships, then the choruses about me being frustrated at writing about relationships. It feels like you're trapped in this horrible repeating saga. Uh, Ian also said, there's spoken word at the end of this song, a song we've been trying to pay homage to for many years in the band, is Waking the Witch by Kate Bush. Uh, when the almost scary groove kicks in, there's this chopped up sort of frantic sounding spoken word, which has always been such an evocative thing, where I've always wanted to find a way to reference it. I listened to that Waking the Witch by Kate Bush last couple of days and definitely see where the influence comes from. Uh, I didn't realize that there was this spoken word under this kind of instrumental. It kind of is really hard to make out even when you know it's know it's there and only kind of reading the, the lyrics I, uh, was I able to kind of comprehend any of it. But um, that was actually my favorite part of the song where it was at in two minutes, 37 seconds in there's this synth instrument well i think i thought it was an instrumental at the time uh and there's like consistent drum beat and everything builds around uh and building up to the chorus again so yeah i love nightmares just uh just fantastic james nightmares nightmares is the the song that i like all of my technical analysis completely falls away with this one and i just get lost in the the vibe of the whole thing um i think it goes so hard um the specifically like the that chorus um the the cadence of it i've been singing that song again and you bang your head on the again um and the way it just keeps doing that throughout the chorus it's such an aggressive bit of music um and i think it's probably like sonically like the darkest thing on here like it's so grungy and thick <laughs> as a song um but uh, I, I really fuck with it. I'll be singing that song again. Another ballad that won't make amends. It's been giving me nightmares again. And they don't end. I've been singing along again. Another poem designed for revenge. Now I'm living the nightmare again. And it won't end. Yeah. I think it's a really interesting follow-up to Lullabies as well, you know, where you've got sort of the lightest uh, track on the album followed up by this, like, just behemoth of a, a, a song. I mean, it's, you know, 433. And, and the two song titles. It's very intentional. Exactly, yeah. Like, it does in a lot of ways feel like an album of pairs in, in some ways. I think there's a lot of thematic work going on throughout that. Um, and yeah, like you said, that spoken word stuff at the end. I, I was reading the lyrics as I was listening to the song, and I was like... Pfft, where where is this? What, what have I missed something? Am I listening to the wrong version? Um, yeah, no, I, I I really like it. I think the the first four words um, of my 
description for this song. Song just goes hard. Yeah. Churches are hard. <laughs> uh, they're, um, they actually tweeted the other day that their European label said that this song was too metal for German radio, so... <laughs> Hilarious. That's awesome. Uh, as a bit of a metalhead yourself, Simon, what do you think of uh, Nightmares? So up until two days ago, this was my favorite um, on the album. It's my second favorite. So yay, buddy. Um, Twinsies. Now, I, I've coined a new subgenre for this this song, mm. right? It's both- Excellent. It's both indie and industrial. It's industrial. Ooh. <laughs> Am I right? <laughs> Now that being I said, yeah, that. like like hits hard. It's got it's got the it's got the dirtiness. Yeah, as you said, grungy thick. It's that industrial stomp to it. It like al- almost pushing into like a dubstepy way, you know, without the wobbles. But the thing that I love so much, whole track, there's this omnipresence of like hopelessness that just engulfs the entire thing. You get to that extended bridge, descending synth, guitar line, spoken word. It brings me to tears, literally. Like I, if I'm doing the full album, listen, and I get to that moment, I'm just like, you, you, you can feel it, and just everything about it was 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 speaking to me. There's there's no there's no little glimmer of like uplift or or anything in it. It's just desaturated everything cloud cloud over the head. Um, yeah, they they really hit it out of the park with this one. And I just want to echo what James said about those those four agains in the chorus and how they're kind of perfectly, you know, one, two, one, two, one, whatever. Um, like I said, I just bang in my head to each again and kind of <laughs> singing it like ferociously as well. So. Yeah. It's a song that gets you angry in in the best way possible. Um, yeah. And I, I think that it's uh, the specifically the use of the lyric, you know, I'm having those nightmares again, and then immediately following it up with I'm living the nightmare again, um, or whatever it is that she says. I think that the way it explicitly takes the entire concept of the album being this nightmare, and then in the end is like, I'm now in it. Like, I am the nightmare. Um, I, it's just, it's such a good way to bring it home before you really bring it home with um, what's next. Mm. And track 10, Better If You Don't, 3 minutes 32, an acoustic track that really sounds like it's from, I guess, the, the mid-90s, maybe the early 2000s, uh, singer-songwriter type stuff. Um, it really tones down the electronics and the synths. We hardly hear any of it. Personally, I love it as a closer, and generally I don't gravitate towards slower, softer stuff. That was kind of the stuff that kind of irritated me in the Billie Eilish album, especially where it was placed. Um kind of ruined the momentum but as as a closing track i think this is fantastic it really feels like what you were saying before james like if nightmares kind of hit home that the whole album and the whole story has been this nightmare and this is what you're living through this really nightmares really feels like okay you've you've lived through it you finally survived it maybe you've beaten the big bad or the or the uh, you, you you are the final girl, finally. Mm-hmm. And this is like the police have showed up. Here's the ambulances. The credits are about to roll over the screen as 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 you're being wrapped around with like maybe that foil foil blanket to uh you know kind of absorb some of the shock. This is the acoustic track that plays over, and you know you actually be an opportunity to kind of look back and and reflect on on, on what's happened or. Uh, maybe just ch- chill out and, and, and finally like exhale or, or take a breath. Mm. So um, yeah, this felt like an epilogue of a horror movie. Like the nightmare is the nightmare's over for now. So I, I, I kind of love it. Yeah. 
But um, I'd say as, as an individual song, I wouldn't like naturally just go like scroll down. Better if you don't bang play it. But as as like a piece, like completely like uh, all together as an as an experience, I don't think it's like you get to ten. Like oh, here's the acoustic track that's just thrown in. Ah, uh, fuck, album's over. Back to one. Um, I feel like it really complements and enhances the experience. So yeah, what about you? How do you feel about it, James? Yep, exactly right. We talked before about how Mabry uses the you know drowning symbolism and whatnot. Um, the way this album makes nightmares and that violence feel like something that you are drowning in. Um, and so then better if you don't comes along and it's like your head breaks the surface. Um, you know, it's it is that breath of fresh air. It's that okay, you know that that was the experience because I think you can't make an album like Screen Violence without also not coddling the listener at the end, not holding their hand, but you know you can't not. Feel finish it somehow um i I think if you're going to make a statement this strong and this aggressive coming in at the end with a a very you know toned down personal quiet ending uh i think is exactly what you need as a contrast point um it was interesting the uh the vocalist guy, I, I believe, this was pretty much his brainchild, um, you know, musically speaking. And when they were initially, pro- yeah, when they were initially producing this track, they said that they made a few different variations of it, and one of them was like a really hard synth, like banger version of it. And I'm just so glad that we didn't get that here because you're right. Even if individually, you know, it's not the song that you're going to run to. Its place on the album is as important as every other piece of the album. Yeah, it's it's a good bookend with um the the first track. Yeah. Simon? Perfect emotional closer. Um, the acoustic chord structure reminds me of like post-hardcore slash emo vibes, as you were saying, like 90s, 10th century. I'm loving that. Really loving how reserved they were with the use of being offset by this subtle dance beat. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just there. Um, then the really, there's like the, in the production, very smooth, reflective reverb um, on the on the vocals and the verses. To me, it's just that that's like production perfection standout part on the entire album for me. Melancholic pre-chorus and chorus, fantastic. Um, and how it ends, uh, it doesn't outstay its welcome. It, it, it everything wraps up, but it's it's so good. The restraint in not going into the hard synth in 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 Offering peaks and valleys without it being overly dramatic. Um, what? Why are they? Why are they this good? Okay, like, <laughs> yeah, awesome, why are they way, awesome way to end it. <laughs> It's, yeah. it's such confident music making. Um, like they, they really feel like they've found themselves as a band and especially following up from um, Love is Dead, uh, you know, to have them be separated for as long as they were because of COVID and then come back together and keep it entirely in-house, you you just see the results. Like, this is, this is just a phenomenal album. Like, no skips. <laughs> I skips there you go so i guess that wraps up a uh, track by track discussion and um, let's get straight to it then you said no skips if uh you had to score it what would you uh what would you score it who wants to go first me i'll go first 
I'm just going to straight out give it. A, I'm just going to give straight out give it a ten. All right, I've listened to it uh, twenty plus times. It may not be, you know, there may be imperfections in it, but as a complete package, I think it's perfect. I think it's their best work. Um, maybe it's recency bias. You know, it's only been out a week now, but I think the amount of times I've listened to it and the amount of times I kind of plan to listen to it, especially with us being able to play it at work. Um, yeah, it'll be very hard to kind of... It's weird. I can give this a 10 and it could still not be my album of the year to an album that may not be a 10 for some reason. I, 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 don't know. Yeah. That, that, I know that sounds stupid. No, it's personal. Um, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, but as a complete experience, uh, yeah, I think it's fantastic and um, not a lot of... Yeah, like you said, no skips. Their best work. The thing, no, the thing is, brilliant. by you saying that it doesn't make sense that you could give something a nine or something a ten, and the nine be the album of the year. I usually feel like it's if there's an album as consistently excellent as this, but then you have a then you have like another album that just has maybe three or four tracks that just really, really, really dig into and speak to you. That can be the deciding factor to push you for that personal connection. Um, yeah, it's so just, I, I guess I, I, how I gauge and how I consume music, and it's what it makes me feel. And yeah, for me, yeah. this so it doesn't have fantastic. to be just based on a metric. Um, yeah, but but yeah, for me, um, if I'm comparing it to my other favorite Church's album, since I'm such a pro now that I've listened to seventy five percent of their discography, um, every open eye had one song which I'd skip all the time, and then the one with Mark on it, which I could kind of like, I liked it, but I could take it or leave it. Um, so overall that might be like an 8.5. So this one is a, this one's a 9.5. Um, just with that, just with that little Mark, what, like, why did you just have to appear in that bridge? Okay. If you weren't there, it would have been a 10. All right. I'm sorry. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's excellent. It is their best album. Uh, some slight little OCD things with the titling aside. It's it's diverse, it's infectious, it's emotional. Ten tracks, call it a day. There we go. I'm so happy to hear you love this album, Simon. Because mm. then I was like, hey, you want to come and do the, the Churches podcast with James and I? And I was like, yeah, you know, Churches, whatever. You, you're, just a, you're just a lover of music. And I was like, oh, I'm, I hope I'm not dragging Simon along to this band or album that's going to like oh, he's like oh this is going to be a chore this is going to like no, I'm so glad that you're in on churches I think if I wasn't vibing with the three singles enough I could have I, I would have said to you ahead of time like no I don't think I can like justify my comments for mm. it but it, those three really got into me and then just the album dropped I was like yes this is great James how are you feeling yeah, everything you guys just said, I'm just going to echo that perfectly. Um, an interesting point I, I found, this album hits at a really odd time in terms of music that I was anticipating this year because Lord just had Solar Power uh, drop, which was an album I was hugely excited for. Like, I, I think Lord is, is a genuine phenomenon. And then Solar Power comes out and it's, you know, also a concept album. It's also an album about, you know, fame and our relationship with these idols and whatnot. And I found Solar Power to be just so 
utterly not good. <laughs> um, that that album like really crushed me. Um, I a couple of standout tracks aside, I just I just never want to go back to that. And so for churches to come along and sort of reinforce what I initially heard from these guys, you know, way back in the day, you know, first time I moved out of home, like one of their albums was like my my soundtrack when I was moving. Like that's how long I've been going with churches now. Um, and so for them to come in with scream violence and have it be so just profoundly well made and you know like you said the perfect amount of restraint um that perfect amount of earnestness it feels like mayberry's lyrical work has has come full circle sonically they're as tight as i've ever been uh, I, I think this album's a 10 i i think it's just outstanding it's gonna make the follow-up very hard yeah exceptional. they've set hard. they've set the bar for themselves and just for I hope, since i hope the follow-up makes me hard <laughs> oh oh <laughs> terrible <laughs> Sorry, I don't have as any, as uh, fancy puns as you saw. No, no, I, it's like, just for, for overtly rude or just <laughs> dumb. For, for a hot second, I thought Zach Jackson popped up on the podcast. <laughs> <coughs> Shoutouts. Um, so there you go. Based on the Radio Watson Metacritic, which is a certified score that uh, you can't find anywhere else other than listening to said talk show, podcast, whatever we are. Uh, 9.83. There you go, Simon. You ruined the meta. You ruined the oh, Radio Critic. It's Mark. Man. You fucked Blame the Radio Mark. Watson Critic. I'm sorry. Unbelievable. Now churches aren't going to get that reward money or whatever because they didn't get 10. Isn't that how... That's how this works. Amalgamation works. I don't know. Whatever. Um, yeah, awesome. Thanks for coming along, guys. That was, awesome. uh, that was fantastic. It was awesome just gush about churches. Like I said previously in a few other shows, I hate coming on here when I did the old episode. Um, I really didn't like old. Who Tom and Paul didn't really like old. I hate... Like, hey, let's record this podcast on this thing. Yeah, cool. We all do do this thing and consume it, do whatever, come like, and it all sucked. I'm like, mm, this is going to be, <laughs> oh, are we just going to shit on this thing for an hour? Okay, let's have fun with it. You know, let's have some laughs, whatever. Not not great. I would prefer to come and do this. Just like totally just like praise and worship something for an hour. And I'm so glad that that was the case. But, <laughs> but at the same time, your reviews of old matched most of what was kind of out there. So it's not like you're being overly harsh. And then in the way, what if you, you ask James, James, James is a fan of old, yeah, but, but then in the way that, in the way that you dissect it, um, it was from very much that movie critique. So it wasn't just a case of bagging it for the sake of bagging it or because everyone else is, it still was a constructive breakdown. So you might much prefer enjoy gushing about stuff, which mm. who doesn't, but at the same time, I, I do don't knock yourself down for, a negative review <clears throat> on a film. Not to get too meta here, I actually find it's much easier for me as a critic to put my things into words when I am being down on something like my Agreed. positive words tend to just come out as like I loved it uh whereas if I'm if I'm mad at something or if I don't think something is done particularly well I have language to support that um I don't really have language to put into words like you know Simon you said earlier you got goosebumps while describing a part of this album like I had that multiple times sitting here and it's like how do I just say that without hackneyed cliche like oh it gave me goosebumps yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's right. it's it, it's very hard to convey particular height of feelings when you're actually experiencing that at the same time it's like i i want to i want to pass this feeling to you i can't put it into mm. words it makes the job harder that being said the discussion here was excellent i feel <laughs> so do I. let's pat ourselves on the back yeah. gentlemen well done <laughs> cheers to that 
<laughs> Let's drink scotch. We solved be manly. <laughs> <laughs> great podcasting. Uh, talking about great podcasting, where can uh, everyone find your great podcasting stuff, James? Uh, you can listen to me on Two Hearts and You Who Podcast, which is, as the title would suggest, a podcast where we recap uh, the new run of Doctor Who that started in 2005. I'll admit, since I've gone back to studying, our release schedule has been um, a little all over the place, but uh, you can still go out and uh, check us out for that. We just put out our latest episode, actually. Very good. And Simon, you used to do a podcast. Do you still do that podcast? It was called Take My Tone From Memory. I think I've been on four episodes. It was a really cool music discovery podcast. And you know what? My weeks just aren't the same. Is it coming back? It is coming back. I can't give you a Oh, date. I got the exclusive. <laughs> I got I the exclusive. If anyone was going to get the exclusive from Simon, it was going to be me. Sucked in, people. As you can tell, I do like talking about music. Um, it's only fair to con- continue that. Uh, and yeah, for anyone that doesn't know what it is, just search Take My Tone in your podcast player and check it out. And uh, yeah, 71 episodes to listen to. And yeah, stay tuned. Radio Watson has the scoop. There you go. I didn't even plan that. I just thought I was going to, like, I'm going to put you under the pump today. I'm going to see if I can get an answer out of you. I'm glad. I'm glad we have that answer. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, you can follow uh, Simon over on Twitter at Precise Path. Uh, you can follow James at OMG More James. You can follow myself There's at more James? Watson 12 and a <laughs> uh, podcast at Radio Watson underscore. You can also follow the show on uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, all good podcast services. We love it if you could leave us a review or any feedback, any feedback or anything like that is much appreciated. Thank you once again for coming along. And uh, yeah, until next time, on behalf of Simon, James, myself, buddy, this is Radio Watson out. Yes, I know. My favorite review I ever read was the girlish vocals of female singer Lauren Mabry. I'm like, how many times can you tell people I have a vagina? It's already in the name of figure it out.